Good morning, King's Church London. It's fantastic to be with you. I love the name of your church, King's Church London. I think if I lived in London, I'd want to be part of a church with a name like that. And I see the faces and the radiance of the knowledge of the grace of God, and it is wonderful to be with you. Are there any people from Zimbabwe here? Mangwana ni mose. Calvin, it's nice to have you here again. We had such a good time, as Rene was saying, and uh, we had, I think, a group of about 30 in different discussion groups yesterday. I loved Steve's phrase that the group coming out in March is an advance party, and I think it's just the beginning of a growing relationship. Steve and the Tibbets and I have enjoyed friendship for a number of years, and so many in this room, and uh, I think that's expanding into a full-on church-to-church relationship, possibly sphere-to-sphere, uh, seeing apostles and churches working together across the earth. And I feel it's a huge privilege to preach into this church today. Uh, it's a giving and receiving moment, and I'm praying to God that He would enable me to do good to you guys, as we have been in receipt of such goodness from you. As, as Steve said, uh, we used to be one meeting a Sunday, and we were scared to go to two about 18 months ago. And we're now on two sites with five meetings on a Sunday, and still scared, but uh, we have learned from a number of lessons that you guys have learned from, and it's great to be understudying you in that way, and you've been a huge blessing in so many ways. Uh, my family send their love. My wife, Claire, to whom I've been married nearly 22 years, uh, she would have been on this trip, but the time frames were just too short. Uh, my daughter, Kimberly, who has just finished school and is on her way to university next year. She's going to Iowa, a college in Iowa, and going to study education. And my son sends his love as well. He's 16 at boarding school in South Africa, and he's doing GCSEs this year. Uh, he, he was doing eight, but water polo is taking a lot of his time, and he's going to do seven now. Uh, well, I'm still talking to him about that. But uh, he's a good boy, and they, they love Jesus, and uh, I'm excited about where we're going as a family. And uh, my church as a whole, Send Love. I was with a team out here a little while ago, Jacob and Gandu, Andrew Ellis and Dave Hobbs, those three guys in particular, Send Love to you. So uh, I could go on about all these connections and the excitement of what God is doing in our family of churches, in New Frontiers, uh, uh, in the church as a whole, but uh, I really want to get stuck into the Gospel of Matthew and cross-refer into the book of Chronicles, as you'll see in a moment, with a specific thing that I feel God has given me to bring to the church this morning. Would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Father, thank you so much that we can turn the pages of our Bible and know that the, these pages, these words are written with such love, that this is your love letter to the bride of Christ. Thank you that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are perfect, that you're all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and yet you are all-loving that you have given us your word written, and you've also given us your word in the life of Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Thank you that you have lived amongst us, that you identify with us, 
And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open up your word today, that we as King's Church London would live as the body of Christ, the people of God, the word of God alive in action. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up your word today and move this church on. Move this church into a greater measure of the purpose that you have. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, is one of those uh, things that Jesus said that is sometimes difficult to grasp or to understand straight off. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Quite uh, an extraordinary passage from Jesus, and uh, it's very interesting that he says, from creation up until Christ, up until this moment, there is no one who's been born greater than John the Baptist. And part of what Jesus is saying is that from the moment of creation up until this moment, everything has been pointing towards Jesus. And John the Baptist is right at the end of that train of pointers to Christ, pointing most directly to the Messiah. Creation points to and demonstrates the glory of God. Adam and the creation of Adam himself. And even when sin came into the world and caused fallenness to impact every part of the created order, God showed his glory, re-engaged with man. And right there prophesied of one that would come, that would crush the serpent, but it would bruise his heel, pointing to Jesus. And down the ages all the way through Noah, all the way through Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, everybody pointing to the one. But John the Baptist was able to say at that moment when Jesus appeared to be baptized in the Jordan, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The most clear declaration of the one. And staggeringly, Jesus says, he of all of this train is the greatest, but would be the least in the new dispensation that he's brought. In other words, those who are not only pointing to the Messiah, but those who are in the Messiah and in whom the Messiah lives by his Holy Spirit saying, as much as Abraham knew of God, as much as Moses knew of God, as much as John, the cousin, knew of the Messiah, you and I have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge, a greater mandate. And then he says, but one thing is for sure, in all of this history, in the days of John the Baptist to now, one thing is for sure and will continue. 
the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And here's the amazing thing. You and I are called to forceful, violent advance of the kingdom of God. That is what we're on planet Earth for. And every marketing billboard and every worldly thing that gets in our face is trying to make us live for something else. And we tempted to live for happiness now, for comfort now, and it's a lie. We are currently at war. We are on the front line of enemy territory. We're behind the lines, and this is the time for war. This is the time for pain. This is the time for suffering. This is the time for hardship. This is the time for sacrifice. And if you're not feeling any of those things, we need to get feeling them. And if you are, be happy. You're in the right place. Because we are heading into a day where there will be no more suffering, and there will be no more tears, and there will be no more sin, and there will be no more death, and there will be no more temptation. And all the things that we have been put into the front line of, we today have the privilege of living in and demonstrating the glory of God in a fallen world. It's war. And I think about King's Church London and say to myself, does God really call us to world mission? And what does that mean? And I love it that it's in the series called Start. And it says, Start Thinking About World Mission. And I would change the title to Start Being on World Mission if you're not already. And I'm hoping to outline from Scripture a way that you can really engage with that. Because I believe this is Jesus' heart. When he called his first disciples, he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right in the very beginning of Jesus' discipleship process is the idea that you are going to affect the world. You are going to go and tell others. Does that come follow me and I will teach you Genesis? Come follow me and I will teach you Exodus? No, no, we're on mission together. The word of God is for a purpose, to equip you to be more effective in what you're doing. And all of Jesus' teaching had that way. When he taught them to pray, he didn't teach them first to pray for their granny and their mother-in-law. First pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worship and intimacy with God will always come first. But very often what comes next is our domesticated needs, even our own sin. So we so, so feel so bad about what I've done. Lord, let me just get this right with you and then I can start praying. No, no, don't worry about your sin. Any conviction that you feel is the grace of God anyway. Just get praying God's will be done. And then there's time, oh, Father, forgive me my sin. But sometimes we, it's just, it's like selfishness. You know what, let me get my things sorted, then I'll deal with God's agenda. God teaches them, pray for my kingdom to come. Before your daily bread, before give me over temptation, God's agenda. And then Matthew 28, as he's leaving, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. 
Second Chronicles is such a fun book to look at because it tells the story of how Solomon extended the kingdom of Israel on earth after his dad, David, had given it to him. And it's an amazing type if you take the first verse of the first five chapters and see the parallels between the practical extension of Israel and what God is calling the church to today. And we're going to look at those five key steps. And then I'd love us to sing that song that we've sung just now, You Raise Me Up on Wings Like Eagles, that God has called the church to something expansive and massive. Are we allowed to sing at the end? Ah, no, I think, I think we're all good, Steve. I think we're okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you don't need to turn there. I think it's, it's probably easier for me just to read these to you. But if you do have your Bibles and you want to, you're welcome. Second Chronicles chapter 1. The first verse says, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. This is a massive principle that God had chosen Solomon. Solomon, it says there, knew that God was with him, or established his kingdom, and the Lord God was with him. The wonderful thing about Solomon is that he was absolutely disqualified. He, He had no qualification to be the king other than that God had chosen him. He was the second child of an illegitimate union that the king had had with another man's wife. Do you remember her name? Bathsheba. He had called, David had called Bathsheba to himself. They they had a child, or she had fallen pregnant. He then arranged for her husband to be killed in a very treacherous way in battle. And then the child of Bathsheba didn't survive. And retaining what little dignity he could through that whole process, he took, David took Bathsheba as his wife, and she had another child, Solomon. And it says of Solomon's birth in the book of Samuel, and God loved him from the moment he was born. And God's hand was on him. And God called David to hand his kingdom over to Solomon. And that's how it happened. And the amazing thing for you and I is every one of us is absolutely disqualified in our own strength, left to our own devices. We are all the same rubbish without Jesus. And it's good to know that. And the wonderful thing is, once God has started with you, He never lets go. It's forever. And I love it how he does it with every single person through Scripture. I love how he does it with Abraham. Abraham worshipped the stars. God started showing himself to him. Abraham started to get the idea, but he kept lying and kept blowing it, and God just kept with him. Do you remember he kept saying his wife, who was so beautiful, was his sister? Eventually, second time around, he did it again and said to Abimelech, it says, my sister. And Abimelech was struck with sickness, and his wife couldn't have kids, and it was a nightmare in his home. And Abimelech's sleeping, and in the night, God shows himself to Abimelech and says, the one that you have in your home is the wife of Abraham, my prophet. He will pray for you, and you will be healed. Imagine Abimelech waking up thinking, prophet, that liar, he's going to pray for me. 
I thought we had something going here, God. You and me, but now, no, he's my man. And he prayed for him and he was healed. And God changes Abraham bit by bit and does the same with Jacob and does the same down through the ages. And the wonderful thing that we need to know first off in this world mission thing is that God has chosen us. And if you don't know God yet, the wonderful news is scripture says, all are chosen in Christ. Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sin of the world. All the world for all time, once and for all. And you can receive that free gift of forgiveness and sonship for eternity. And you say, well, that sounds rather easy. And the truth is, it's easy for us. But it cost God his life. And actually, it's not so easy for us because it means there's nothing for us to do. And that, unfortunately, impacts our pride. Sorry about that. There's nothing left but for us to bow our knee and say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you love me, that out of your wisdom and glory, you have paid for me to be right with the Father. I receive your gift of grace. And when you do that, world mission has just begun in your heart because you want the whole world to know that good news. Religiousness keeps us away from world mission because you're always having to work for your salvation. And secretly, you don't want anyone to have to have that. And you actually want to go drinking. You actually want to do all these things. Oh, God's such a killjoy. If only we didn't have to do this stuff to get to heaven. The grace of God is empowering. He's like, well, there's all these things to do. This won't prevent you from going to heaven. It'll just make you smell like you're never going to get there. (laughs) But the grace of God makes us see those things like sand and drop the sand for the diamond of being in relationship with God and in His peace. And so this is so important, King's Church London, that you know that you are God's child. As, you, as you're on the tube and there's these millions of people next to you, you can say, King's Church London is on this tube. When you're taking your little child for a walk in the park, King's Church London has just arrived in Hyde Park. And to, to know that, Solomon knew it. Strikingly, what he did with that was he established the kingdom securely in his hand. And 2 Kings tells us what that looked like. There were many pretenders to the throne, and Solomon killed them. Some were his brothers, some were his sisters-in-law, some were the army generals of his father. He killed them. And 2 Kings lists out death after death after death after death. And it's sometimes hard to read that stuff But we need to know that Jesus is ruthless about anything that pretends for his throne in our lives. And King's Church London, if you want to influence the world, know who you are in Christ and live out his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
and you live in a world that is duplicitous and offering many options and whatever you feel like, as long as you love one another and you're not hurting anyone and you've consented and you've done the course, you can do it. It's like, oh, if you do this, all these man-made things that are there. But the word of God is uncompromising. This is the way to go. This is the way to life. I believe you live in a world that's even scared to marry. It's scared to commit. It's scared to burn bridges. It wants to keep options open. And say, this is what I'm all about. I remember when I was at school and gave my life to Jesus, my friend PJ Smythe introduced me to Christ. And uh, we were at a boys' boarding school, and I tried to put up posters of naked women on my wall. It was like a badge of honor. The more naked she could be, the more of a man you were. And uh, I had a fantastic collection, and PJ, <laughs> PJ came over one day. My grandmother baked biscuits, and uh, he actually had hyperglycemia at the time and wasn't allowed to eat sugar, so he'd come and eat my biscuits because I would allow him to have them. And uh, he said to me, after I give my life to Christ, and I try to keep these things going, he said, what do you think Jesus would say about these pictures? And I'd try to say, he would say they're made in the image of God and they are beautiful and all this. But I, I felt convicted. And the biggest problem for me was then my friends would know that I was a happy clapper, that, that I, was, I was gone. I'd gone religious. I, it was just, and I didn't know much theology at the time. I didn't know how to defend my faith. And I took down these pictures. And from then on, I was fair game. And I was teased, and I was ripped. I just started learning the guitar. They would impersonate me and you know, do rip off speaking in tongues and all this stuff. But I tell you, it was the best thing ever that I was able to make a stand for my faith. And I remember Terry Virgo preaching on it once, and he said, well begun is half done. And I, I would encourage you to let everybody know that you love Jesus and that you're living for his kingdom and righteousness. Not in a holier-than-thou way, like, look, I'm so good, I'm doing this. But, guys, I just want to tell you, I'm working on this. Jesus is changing me in this area. I want to be like Jesus. You might want to be like Lady Gaga or like <laughs> David Cameron or whatever. I want to be like Jesus. And that's who I am. And uh, in, in love, not in pride, that is very compelling because people will watch your life. And that's world mission because you don't know what happens to people. We, we had a guy this Sunday in our church who Facebooked me. I hadn't heard from him for 25 years. And he said, I've just won a Dove Award in Canada. I was led to Christ on a camp that you spoke on. Can I give my testimony in church? So I purposely didn't ask him any further questions. And I remembered his name from long ago, Batsirai Chada, and he arrived at River of Life, and I said, Bats, I haven't spoken to you for 25 years. Tell me again, where did we meet? And he told me the story of how, in a little dorm group, he'd been led to Christ. And his life has just gone... And he's leading worship in churches across Canada, and he's doing all these amazing things. And he says, I can trace it back to our little times when we were together in the dorm. And we don't realize the impact that our lives make. And I want to encourage you to be ruthless like Solomon. The Bible says, be faithful with little, and I will put you in charge of cities. It, it's amazing how in God's economy, these little things 
enable him to do massive things with our lives. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven, as we've been faithful with little things, what he's done with them. And it'll be glory to him. The third thing is from 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Solomon purposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. And this is the special thing that from a relationship with God, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, he speaks into our hearts. Solomon, it says in the earlier chapter, offered a thousand offerings. He was a man of worship. He was a man of prayer. And in that place, God spoke to him. And I would say, King's Church London, be a people of prayer. When you think of world mission, default, pray. Loved what Rene said, the thing we want is prayer. And sometimes you say, oh, prayer, oh, yes, okay, but what's the real thing? That's the real thing. When you think of world mission, also known as prayer. And from prayer will come action. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And this is the exciting thing, that every great thing that people have done for God has always come from the place of intimacy, where God has spoken purpose into the hearts of men. Just like Nehemiah, do you remember? He was worried about the temple. He was worried about the city of God that had been demolished. And he got permission to go back. And he was riding on his horse. The Bible says it was in the middle of the night. No one knew he was doing it, not even the animals. It says, except the one he was riding on. In other words, you also know what God's doing. You can say to his donkey, but no one else. And as he's riding around the walls in the quietness, God speaks to his heart. You're going to build this for me. And do you know that's where the unstoppable, forceful, violent advance of the kingdom of God is forged in those moments. Sometimes it's corporately in worship. And God speaks deep into your heart. Sometimes it's on your own, but it's always in the place where it's a download from heaven. And the exciting thing is, you don't have to ask for big stuff. You don't have to be disappointed if God gives you a small purpose. In fact, be happy. It's easy. I think sometimes our celebrity culture makes us think, unless it's big and grand, like Steve Tibbet, <laughs> then it doesn't count so much. And we compare one another like this. The nice thing is, God is going to look at Steve Tibbet and say, I asked you to do this. How much of this have you done? He's going to look at me and say, I asked you to do this. How much of this have you done? In other words, God is going to judge us according to what he's called us to do. That's what's going to count. And so in that quiet place, Father, what do you want me to do? And in your heart, you purpose. And wonderfully, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it moves from these heart things like sense of destiny, sense of integrity, sense of eternity and purpose in God. It moves to action. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. And interestingly, it goes on to say, in Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, he began to build in the second month of the fourth year. Solomon's measurements for the building were in cubits, the old standard, 60 cubits, and the breadth of the vestibule was 20 cubits. It carries on. 
And this is the incredible thing, that from knowing what God has called you to do, as you move into action, it's going to involve people and places and dates and measurements and money and practical things. And they are sometimes horrible. People are not always easy. It's when you move from dream to action that the opposition happens. Boom! When Nehemiah was going around the walls, it was all peaceful and quiet. He started to build. Woo! What are you doing? I'm building a house for God. No, you're not. Who on earth do you think you are? A fox could run up that wall and it would fall down. Ha, 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 ha. Then he gets further. No, no, we're going to get letters from the government. No, you can't do. Boom! And... And dreams are so important. Without dreams, the action isn't going to be in the right direction because it's not going to be God's plan. But dreams on their own don't count for anything. And the action is where the heat comes. It's also going to involve commitments in your diary. It's also going to involve checks that you write. It's also going to involve sacrifice that you need to make. These things are tough. Jesus is perfect. But he is making us perfect. And you will find that you are disappointed and let down by people. I remember after I'd been married 12 years, 13 years perhaps, one night, turned the light off, I was just lying in bed, drifting off in that moment of bliss. And Claire, my wife, said, I think I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm never going to have married the knight in shining armor. And I turned on the light. We have a problem. It was the first I knew of it. <laughs> and I remember that conversation. And she said, I just, I mean, I do. I love you. I do. I love you. But you realize being married to a person that they're not perfect. And again, we live in a world that says, no, you can just chop and change. You've fallen out of love. Love is has been sexualized somehow. It's just this buzz and this feeling. But no, you don't have it. No, change. Do you know, to be committed to one another is such a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And God says he commands a blessing where there's unity. And I look at the diversity in this place, and I just feel the pleasure of God. Do you know when we're committed to one another, when we celebrate one another's differences, it's not we try to accommodate, we celebrate the difference. And God commands a blessing. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his riches and glory. But it takes effort. You say, oh, small groups. Yeah, I don't know if I've got the time. Forms. Oh, you mean I've got to fill in that form? That's where the bump and grind is. But you are part of a very exciting church. And I want to encourage you to get stuck in. In the practicalities, make the diary dates, make the sacrifices. The last scripture, uh, we skip Second Chronicles chapter 4, because it takes longer when you are building. And Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 1 says, Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And it's an amazing thing to make good on what we've purposed in our hearts to do, to finish. And uh, 
I love what C.T. Studd said, the great English cricketer. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And Studd not only purposed in his heart to go to China, not only decided these things of the world are never going to satisfy me anyway, but he followed through. He got to China. He spread the gospel. And on his last day, he could say, like Paul, I've run the race. I wonder if you could close your eyes. I want to point you to Jesus who finished perhaps in the most inspiring way that you could ever, ever imagine. Could I ask the band to come up while I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you that you said one greater than Solomon is among you. Just like Solomon knew he was chosen, you knew who you were. You responded to the Father who said, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You were so forceful and violent in your dealing with Satan as he tempted you, just like he tempts each one of us. Your heart was so full of purpose For this reason, the Son of God, the Son of Man is manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And that you took action in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. You said, not my will, but your will be done. And you took the cross. And Jesus, we we celebrate as we sing in a moment that you shouted from the cross as you gave up your spirit. It is finished. Thank you that all the pressure is off because you have finished it for us. And we don't have the pressure today. We have the privilege of being caught up in this world mission in your strength. We pray that you would raise us up on wings as eagles as we wait upon the Lord. That we would know who we are. That we would be seeking your kingdom and righteousness that you would speak into our hearts and call us to the purposes that you have. You'd give us courage to act, especially where there's pain, especially where there's sacrifice, with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And what we begin, Lord, you would enable us by your power to complete, that this church would run the race you have marked out, would hand on to the next generation a higher, stronger, mightier people of God, that, Lord, you would reach the nations in London through this church and beyond London for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand and sing together as a worship response? Thank you so much.